Sunday night on HBO, I saw something I thought I'd never see on television, the depiction of a dark day in American history that not many know about, the Tulsa Massacre. That's Lawrence Ware of Slate talking about Watchmen, which is our featured review this time here on Cinephile. Thank you, as always, for checking us out. Please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, big get this week. My man, Scott Rogowski, one of the funniest people you will ever meet and a diehard cinephile. One of my favorite parts of this pandemic was him texting me about all these movies he was watching, the Criterion Channel, and he's going to talk about the films of Paul Schrader, because we both love hardcore, which I've reviewed here recently on Cinephile. We're also going to talk about some other films, including a documentary he saw, which is very, very important to him, and his relationship with Regis Philbin, who unfortunately passed away. In addition to that, updated news on Tenet and what's happening there, a Mount Rushmore of comic-inspired material because of Watchmen and Total Recall, the final one of this segment, the 2020 Oscars. Those are the films that just came out last year. So once again, as always, thanks for checking us out. Um, I did get a tweet from somebody who said, I love Remains of the Day. That might be the best tweet I've ever received because I talked about it last week on Total Recall. So I think it was Tim Wise was the guy's name on Twitter. Thank you so much. Trust me. Anybody else who's a Remains of the Day fan, I don't really don't see that pop up on my Twitter feed. So I appreciate that you love uh, that Anthony Hopkins, Emma Thompson film as much as I do. As far as Apple uh, podcast reviews, um, let's see what we got here. Kanifti. Um, longtime listener, Adnan loves film. His passion is infectious. He quickly breaks down the good and bad with a nice balance of intellect and humor. Great voice, especially a good interviewer. Would like to see his co-host add more to the mix. Oh, man. The, the, Joe, they're taking shots at you here. Uh, DBAC519, your insight into movies that I haven't seen or heard makes you want to go and discover these films for myself. I thank you for that. I just watched The Penis for the first time. Wow, what an amazing story in film. I don't understand how this film or Gangs of New York did not take home the Best Picture Oscar that year. Any thoughts? Uh, the Penis is an incredible film it's uh, for those who haven't seen it it's adrian brody he won best actor roman polanski film set during the holocaust it won all the major awards with the exception of best picture which went to chicago which i refused to watch i've since changed this approach but i used to have a boycott of movies when i would be angry if they beat movies that i love so when gags of new york lost i said well i'm just never going to watch chicago which i still haven't done now what i do is of course the opposite i watch all the movies that way i can say with you know impunity and with confidence no i saw it, it stinks so in answer to your question, D Black 519, I've never seen Chicago. I hear it's a good musical. I love Gangs of New York because I love DDL and I love the production design, that storyline, and you know, God, everything about the five points is so cool. And uh, The Penis is a definitely a very good film. I would say The Penis and Gangs of New York are both very worthy movies. Uh, but yeah, what the hell? Chicago won. What are you going to do? Let's talk about Watchmen, okay? My boy, Hoosman Havji, who's a terrific actor, just celebrated a birthday, former guest in Cinephile. I said, what are you watching? Because you got to watch Watchmen. And I said, you know, I'm just not a big of a comic book guy here, right? I don't want to be on here with Team Scorsese, but God, I suffer through enough of these movies with my kids that I said, I really don't need to watch more of the Avengers-type films. Because no, listen, it's a comic book story, but it's not. And you're going to like it. And he was absolutely right. This is one of the most impressive works I've seen on television in a long time, especially when it comes to limited series. We're going to get to the Emmy nominations in a second. Let me start with this. Watchmen got nominated, according to our friend Alan Sepinwall of Rolling Stone, 26 Emmy nominations. An absolute boatload, and it deserves every single one of them. The story starts with that Tulsa massacre, which again, I did not even know about. I read about it a month ago uh, in terms of just horrific atrocities in this country committed against black Americans. And... Um, it's become more in the news recently, but Watchmen, what, what you cannot get over is just how prescient this show is. It's about social justice and equality. It's about the way blacks are treated by the police. It's about people wearing masks. And all of this came out before this pandemic hit. This show came out last fall. And all of a sudden, they predicted the future. I mean, literally, they had such foresight in seeing the way the world has become. And yet, its origins are on this comic book and, you know, where Watchmen first came from. Regina King is the star. She's an outstanding actress. I loved her in the Barry Jenkins movie, If Bill Street Could Talk, for which she won an Academy Award. She's a former police officer who is now navigating life uh, within the superhero realm. It's one of those shows I don't want to give too much about, except to say this. If you like superheroes and superhero content, you should watch it because, you know, you understand what comes with that territory. And if you're not a fan of that paradigm, someone like me, you should also watch it because... First and foremost, just incredible production design. And you can tell HBO threw a ton of money at this, and it really shines on the screen. 
It's also got very dense storytelling. I mean, there's no shortage of about six major characters which are interwoven beautifully. And it's not too complex. You're not having to write down everything like Game of Thrones and saying, okay, what character happened to this one and this? It's, you know, generally each episode will focus on a standalone character. And then the performances are spectacular. Regina King and also Tim Blake Nelson, who gets his own episode, episode five. Uh, you know him from Coen Brothers movies and such. He gives such a delicate performance. I was so surprised and so struck by the emotion in his performance. And it's a really sad, sad character. And he really makes that come across with his eyes and that Fu Manchu. But the episode you got to see, you know, this is like when people say, if you only see one movie this year, make this it. If you only see one episode of Watchmen, watch episode six. And it works as a standalone episode. And again, I recommend you watch all nine episodes, an hour piece. It takes you nine hours, but it's worth it. But if not, watch episode six, film noir style, all black and white. Regina King swallows the memories of her grandfather and goes back and sees what life was like for him, dealing with the cops, dealing with um, all the, the social terrain of that time. It is about as good an hour of television as you'll ever see. I'm telling you, I was blown away. I watched the episode and I said, I can't wait to watch that again. I got to go finish the rest of the show. And now sometime this week, I'm going to watch that episode again because it was absolutely incredible. My friend Alpha Hellman, by the way, DM me. Uh, again, poo-pooing my man Joe. He said, the boys, is, <laughs> the boys is the Ozark of the superhero genre. Meh. Watchmen, however, never a strong step. So relevant today. Created months before this all went down. Masterpiece. And I would agree with him. Watchmen gets four Maple Leafs. I didn't love the final episode. And I don't want to give anything why. Just thematically, I was hoping for a couple of different elements. But I got to tell you, with the attention to detail... And just how resonant it is and how timely it is, how current the show is, Watchmen is an absolute must-watch. And the Emmy nominations announced today vindicate how special that show is. Joe, your thoughts on Watchmen? Well, um, Emmy nominations came out today, and Regina King was nominated for Best Actress in a Limited Series or Movie. And so I take it her performance is pretty legit. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, we'll get into all these Emmy nominations now. But yeah, when I look at these nominations, I say, okay, Watchmen, it's a good point you bring up the fact it's a limited series. So it's not dramatic series or comedy, limited series, which is a pretty tough category. You got little fires everywhere, Mrs. America, Kate Blanchett on Hulu. But yes, thrilled to see that Regina King was nominated. I believe Tim Blake Nelson was nominated as well. I mean, that entire cast was so good. Have you, have you watched any at all of uh, Watchmen, Joe? You've heard of it? You know, I haven't, just because I told myself that I wanted to read the graphic novel before I watched the actual series, which I have now in my possession, the graphic novel, and I will read it. But everyone I've talked to who has seen the series says it's super poignant, the writing is amazing, and I can't wait to watch it. Jeremy Irons also is excellent. He got nominated. Uh, again, my buddy who said he kind of reminds me of Dr. Emmett Brown in Back to the Future. I didn't think of that, but once he said that to me, I go, oh my God, I can't get it out of my head now. He's like this mad scientist inventor. Uh, Alan Sepinwall is sending out an image of when he's farts in episode seven, which is very funny. But yes, Jeremy Irons, best actor winner for Reversal of Fortune, is also in Watchmen. And if you love Don Johnson, who doesn't love Don Johnson? He has got a small role in Watchmen as well. Uh, the classic synopsis is such, set in an alternate history where masked vigilantes are treated as outlaws, Watchmen embraces the nostalgia of the original groundbreaking graphic novel of the same name while attempting to break new ground of its own. The creator is Damon Lindelof, who is incredibly smart guy. Alex Ned of Mashable, Watchmen centers black trauma in a way few other shows have and follows the inherited pain of black Americans through decades of oppression. That's another thing as we get into the Emmy nominations, they're awfully white. I mean, we all know about Oscar's so white trending. It looks like Emmy's so white in a lot of ways. Watchmen, one of the reasons I liked watching it is one of the few shows now with a lot of diversity. You have a, a primary black female actor. You've got her husband, who is a black male actor, who are driving the story across. And as I said, the themes of which are very um, relatable to today. Let's get into those Emmy nominations, though, because this is just appalling. I mean, I know it's a loaded category. I get that. But Ray Seahorn getting snubbed again. You've heard her on the podcast. You know what a fan I am of hers. This season, her performance was as good as it's ever been on Better Call Saul. Every year she should get nominated, and this year was as good as it's ever been. So I, I honestly, I, I'm baffled at this point how this can even happen. My friend Sarah here, at excuse my French, is saying so angry. And she's right, because I have so many feelings here. I mean, this is so upsetting on so many levels. And, 
As Scott Rogowski is going to point out, how the hell can you care about Emmy nominations with what's happening in the world right now? That is absolutely a fair point. But this is cinephile, so this is not my place to talk about social issues and Miami Marlins COVID outbreaks. My point is here to talk about Emmy nominations. So in the land of silly stuff, yes, I'm personally aggrieved that an actress who I think quite possibly may be the best actor or actress on television can't get one stinking freaking Emmy nomination. How does that happen? Laura Linney, tremendous on Ozark. I have bashed Ozark. I told you, I did not think it was a great show, but I think Laura Linney was wonderful. She got nominated. Awesome. Um, you know, a lot of these other nominees, you can see it happening, and it's understandable because I get it. It's a loaded category when it comes to the best actress. Uh, I, as I said before about... Uh, the Morning Show, which I did not like. Jennifer Anson is the best part of the show. She's obviously a well-loved actress. I totally get the fact she's going to get nominated. Okay, great. So if we pencil in Aniston, we pencil in Laura Linney. Then you got two from Killing Eve. I don't know if I have to have both. People who watch the show, my man Lombardi, Brendan Dunlop, tell me Jodie Comer's great. Okay, Sandra Oh, I love her because she's Canadian. I don't know if we had to get both of those nominees in. But there's those two. So then I said, well, how am I going to get angry? Here's how I'll get angry. I haven't even seen Euphoria. But how the hell does Zendaya get nominated at Ray Seahorn? Come on. There's no way. Tweet at me. Add me in S. Ferg Cinephile Pod. If you can tell me that Zendaya, which I've never seen her showing you for you. I know it's about a bunch of teens doing drugs. If you're telling me they're having sex left and right, okay, cool. That's better than the subtle, nuanced work of Ray Seahorn? The old, my only guess is this. It's so subtle and it's so nuanced, that's why it doesn't get re recognized. Because it's not a showy performance, which has always infuriates me about these, these award shows. When it comes to Emmys and Oscars, they don't reward the best acting. Oftentimes, it is the most acting. So I know that's a bit unfair because I have not seen Zendaya in Euphoria, and maybe she's amazing. But all I'm telling you is this. I've watched every episode of Better Call Saul, and there is no way in hell Ray Seahorn is not one of the top five or six actresses who should be getting a nomination. Case closed. And how about the fact Odenkirk didn't get nominated? I'm like, what? Normally, he always gets nominated, and then, and then he loses. Coming to this year, Better Call Saul, 0 for 32 in nominations. 0 for 32. They've never won an Emmy. And now Odenkirk and Ray Searn to get nominated. And how about supporting actor, Tony Dalton? He's amazing on the show. Lalo, he didn't get nominated. This is awfully embarrassing. I mean, when you have to look at the bad nominations today, no Odenkirk, no Seahorn, no Dalton. No kidding. Ridiculous. The good news, Succession is a runaway freight train and is absolutely, I believe, going to win Best Drama Series. I love the fact that Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong got nominated. I was worried they are going to split the vote. They're both in. They're both magnificent. My man Rami. Nobody has pushed for the show Rami more than me. I'm upset it did not get nominated for Best Comedy Series. I am thrilled that Rami Youssef got nominated for Best Actor. So that's what makes me happy. Succession and Rami makes me happy. What makes me angry is Better Call Saul snub. Kim Wexler is about as good as it gets. I'm sure it's trending right now on Twitter. We're tweeting this on a Tuesday. Uh, and I'm very happy, obviously, about watching which I just reviewed. But Joe, this is, uh, please talk me off the ledge. Why do I care this much? No, no, you, you should be this upset. It seems like, especially in the final season, the Emmy Awards and the Golden Globes, these war shows typically award or reward these actors and, and producers with nominations in their last season. So I'm shocked that Better Call Saul didn't get nominated, that Ray Seahorn, Bob Odenkirk weren't nominated as well. And you're right, um, Rami being snubbed for Outstanding Comedy. I'm glad that uh, Rami Yusuf got lead actor, but what we do in the shadows was the show that snuck in there, which have you ever seen that show? No, I was about to the, say, the I movie? hear it's a really funny show and it's very irreverent. So I'm sure fans of that show are probably very happy. So that's, you know what? I like when they go out of the box and I know you watch the show, right, Joe? It's definitely out of the box, right? It's different. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and the original movie that uh, Taika Watiki did, um, that might be aside from Spinal Tap, the best uh, mockumentary I've ever seen before. It's so, so, so funny. Um, other things that stick out, Jennifer Aniston got lead actress um, for the drama category. As you were talking about with The Morning Show, her being the best part of that show. Um, and I don't think anyone's going to take John Oliver's title away from him for Variety Talk. Last week into tonight, it's just dominated that category since its inception. So, those are the things that stick out to me. And and Brian Cox being nominated. I really, really hope he wins. Good point on John Oliver. God, he wins every year, and he's awfully smart and awfully brilliant. But I would like to see them mix it up a little bit. But hell, what the hell? I like John Oliver. I watch him every week. So good for him. Keep winning. Uh, back to, to give you a more formal recap. Watchmen, 26 nominees. 
Outstanding Limited Series, Regina King, Jeremy Irons, Gene Smart, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Giovanna Depo, and Lou Gossett Jr. They're all nominated. Like, think about that. That's six actors getting nominated Limited Series. Succession, 18 nominations. Cox and Strong, I mentioned. How about the supporting cast? Crushed it. Sarah Snook up for supporting actress. Nicholas Braun, Kieran Culkin, and Matthew McFadden up for supporting actor. Wow. I thought Culkin would, maybe McFadden, but also Nicholas Braun. That's huge that they have six other actors nominated. Um, 18 nominations for Ozark is absolutely absurd. All aside from Laura Linney, I don't know what to tell you. Thank God the morning show didn't get nominated for best drama because all these shows I'm sure are better. Not only Better Call Saul, which I love, but I trust people's opinions when it comes to The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, Stranger Things, and The Mandalorian. Uh, Billy Porter, by the way, won for Pose, so that's interesting. He goes head-to-head now with Cox and Strong. Uh, here's another bad nomination. Steve Carell, are you kidding? Best actor for The Morning Show? Again, he's fine. That's, first of all, it's a small role. I mean, that's like Anthony Hopkins winning for Sansa Lambs. Steve Carell is at best a supporting actor in The Morning Show. He should not be up in the lead actor category, so somebody got screwed there. Um... Yeah, the comedy world, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I love, 20 total nominations, but watch out for The Good Place. Six in its final season. They've been largely ignored by the Emmys, so that's interesting. Their big lead actor nominee for Ted Danson coming off the mat, going up against Anthony Anderson for Blackish, Don Cheadle for Black Monday, Michael Douglas for The Kaminsky Method, which I like a lot, uh, Eugene Levy for uh, Schitt's Creek, and Rami, of course, for Yusuf. So bad news, more things I'm pissed about, although I'm not furious about it, Curb snubbed. Curb is not, uh, Larry David was not nominated. I mean, in terms of best comedy, Curb Your Enthusiasm is there, along with the Kaminsky Method, which I'm happy to see. Shits Creek, Yay for Canada. I mean, a show that nobody was watching for six years, now it became an Emmy darling. But Curb, I don't like seeing Larry David snub there. Dead to Me, which I've seen two episodes of. I love Linda Cardellini because of Freaks and Geeks, so I'm glad she got nominated. Christina Applegate. I'm cheering, of course, to Rachel Brosnan because I watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, but I'm telling you, the limited, the limited series is really interesting because not only Watchmen, but Little Fires Everywhere, Mrs. America, unbelievable and unorthodox. You got major actors like Kerry Washington, Octavia Spencer, Kate Blanchett, and lead actor Hugh Jackman for Bad Education, which I loved, and Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True. Good luck. Good luck choosing lead actor limited series. Jeremy Irons, Hugh Jackman, Mark Ruffalo, all three of those guys were absolutely brilliant. So that is your Emmy recap. Um... It's interesting. Well, supporting actor in a comedy series, Andre Brower, I love because of Homicide Life on the Street. I don't watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but the Emmys love him, so I'm always happy when he gets nominated. I'm thrilled for Alan Arkin for The Kaminsky Method. Two nominees, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Sterling K. Brown, and Tony Shalhoub. My main man, Mahershala Ali, again, great sign for Rami. He gets nominated. Uh, so that's good news. And supporting actress, I'm glad a couple actresses from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Alex Borstein, who could win for the third straight year, and Maren Hinkle as well. Tough competitions are going against Kate McCann for Saturday Night Live. Supporting actor in a limited series, like I said, three guys from Watchmen. Hopefully they can take down Jim Parsons from Hollywood, even though Nick Durst loves Hollywood. And supporting actress, I got to hope for Gene Smart from Watchmen, although watch out for Margot Martindale, Mrs. America. Supposed to be pretty good. As Joe mentioned, variety talk. You got Full Frontal, Jimmy Kimmel, Colbert, Daily Show, but it's going to be John Oliver more than likely. And that is your Emmy nominations recap. So, I got, uh, I got to say what I wanted to say, and uh, yeah, I was fired up. Now time for my man, Scott Rogowski. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 
A pleasure to bring back to Cinephile, Scott Rogowski, who is as big a cinephile as anybody I know. This pandemic has obviously been very tough for a lot of us, but nothing gave me more joy than Scott Rogowski. My man Rags would be texting me some of the most random movies he'd be watching, including Hardcore, which was recently reviewed here in Cinephile, which I hadn't watched in 20 years, which I was prompted to revisit after Scott's review. He loves movies just like me, loves old movies like me, and that's why we're back to talk about some of our favorite flicks and one of our favorite passions in life, the great films of Paul Schrader. Rags, how we doing? Welcome back, my man. Oh, Adnan, it is so nice to be back. A.V. Hunsecker in the studio. I'm here in Westchester holding up my parents' house while I uh, figure out next moves. You know, I listened to your last episode, Adnan, talking about the Mount Rushmore of TV disasters. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was it, wasn't it? That was one of the, <laughs> the, the Mount Rushmore as well. I'm, su- I'm surprised you didn't add the zone to the list. <laughs> Our baseball show, Change Up on the Zone. Yeah, it was... Maybe it'll be one of those shows, Rags, people will say years from now, it was ahead of its time. Like, don't you love that when a show gets canceled, they go, well, it was ahead of its time. People just didn't understand. Maybe that's what they're going to say about Change Up. It's a recurring theme in my career, I, I, I figured out. All my shows I've worked on have been ahead of their time. Going back to, you know, if I can touch briefly on uh, a very notable passing, Regis Philbin. Regis Philbin, please. Legend of television, who I had the pleasure and privilege of working with ever so briefly for uh, one of the blips on his resume, a footnote in his career, a show that was also probably ahead of its time, if you want to call it that, Crowd Goes Wild, which debuted in 2013 on the nascent Fox Sports 1 network. Regis Philbin was hosting the show at 82 years old, a daily, live, hour-long sports talk show, which included five panelists. Jason Gabe, the Wall Street Journal, former NFL player Trevor Price, comedian Michael Costa, British commentator Georgie Thompson, and the young Katie Nolan in her first TV role. And I was a segment producer on the show, and boy, oh boy, did it not work. But Regis was the most incredible person I've ever I've ever sat with, worked with. I got to help him write his monologues. I'd be in his, his dressing room before the shows. He's talking about Joe DiMaggio and Notre Dame football. I mean, the guy was certainly living in the past. <laughs> but but he, he loved sports. He loved the Yankees. And he loved being Regis. And he loved entertaining. And, 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 and seeing him just turn himself on like that. He was on all the time, talking in third person, and uh, snapping at people and using the voice. Regis, Regis is getting aggravated over here. You know, that whole thing. It was such a great character. He knew it was a character. He played it up. He played up the senility of his age. He called me the wrong name all the time. Pogo, Yogo. You can never remember Rogo, but I'm pretty sure it was all just, you know, part of the shtick. And uh, I just had to touch on Regis because he was near and dear to me and so many of your listeners, I'm sure, in all of America. Well, it's interesting. I always wonder like, how guys can flick it on and off. Is there any uh, similarities with Regis and our man Mad Dog Russo? Again, larger than life, some would argue a caricature, high energy, living in the past. I don't know. See, I, I haven't had as much, as much experience with Mad Dog. Um, I, you know, I haven't really encountered him off screen, except for maybe passing him in the bathroom at LB Studios. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he's, that dog seems to me to not be so much as a character as that's generally who he is. Whereas Regis, there were quiet moments of Regis. And Regis, you know, the way he would break is he'd just kind of smile. He, he'd kind of have that, you know, scowl on his face, that Regis indignation. But then he'd, he'd, he'd have this light smile that would break over him. And he knew, and he kind of put his hand out, maybe touch your arm and, and put, put his hand on your hand. And, you know, he sort of made that connection. And you can just tell that Regis is only playing. It was, it was his, it's his way of saying, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. Of course, he didn't have to say that because he knew he was only joking, you know? But with Mad Dog, I don't know. I, I feel like he, he's genuinely mad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he's just incensed dog on all times. How long did Crowd Goes yeah. Wild last on FS1? About seven or eight months, and I lasted fewer. I, I quit after about three or four months. Um, I just uh, I just couldn't couldn't handle couldn't handle it. I, I, I didn't see, I saw the writing on the wall, essentially. It's kind of a, a pattern in my career as well. I'm, I, I get involved in these sinking ships and uh, I, see the, I see the writing on the wall and I try to get out before <laughs> I go down with it. But uh, I, left, I left in December and it was canceled, I think, in May. And by the way, Regis, was also, Regis had a hundred show contract. So, 
he was only on for the first hundred shows. I basically stuck around with him for most of those hundred shows. And once I saw that he was leaving, that was really the, the big draw for me was just to get a chance to work with Regis. And I, I got, I got what I wanted out of it. And some opportunities came up and I took those. I love that it was a hundred show contract. He was like, all right, I'll get this thing going, pay me a whack of money, but I don't want to do this long term. I'll, I'll win one for the Gipper and move on from there. I love the picture also that you tweeted. You were like Regis's futon in one of those images that you tweeted. Yeah. Yeah. His foot rest, his ottoman. Yeah. That was a great, that was a great. Seth Olnick, this fantastic photographer who, who actually, uh, the, the picture of the book that Regis is reading, Funny Business, is a book that Seth put together of all these comedians, portraits of comedians, and uh, that was a little thing. He thought he was maybe going to use it for the next book, but there hasn't been a next book. But like, I have that blown up on my wall. It's in a big frame. Uh, it's probably the favorite photo I've ever had taken of me. And there's Regis putting his feet up on my back. I can't get better than that. <laughs> so good. We're talking with my man, Scott Rogowski. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. Hardcore. George C. Scott stars in this Paul Schrader film from 1979. I saw it when I was in college. I hadn't thought about it in 20 years. And then you texted me, and I was so happy. I mean, literally, words can't put into my mouth. Just how ecstatic I was that you were watching it. You happened to see it was on the Criterion uh, channel, which you were subscribing to, paying for. Tell me what prompted you to watch yeah. it and your review of Hardcore. So, you know, unlike, unlike my friend Adam over here, who, who enjoys the free trials and then tries to bail as quickly as possible... <laughs> I went all in on the Criterion subscription, <laughs> and it's been the best part of my quarantine because this 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 app they throw up like four hundred new movies every month. Movies I most of them never heard of, obscure titles, obscure directors, but really great stuff. And yeah, Paul Schrader was featured a few months ago. Now I knew Schrader from, of course, you know, writing all those great movies with Scorsese. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ and Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Uh, but I had never really d- dove into his oeuvre as a director. Of course, he, the guy's directed 18 feature films. I mean, he's, he's, he's as prolific a director, in fact, more so than a writer. Uh, I was blown away by hardcore. I mean, George C. Scott, the performance he delivers, the storyline itself, which is loosely autobiographical. And see, again, I came into this. I came into Schrader very ignorant. I thought the guy was like a Jewish kid from Brooklyn, Paul Schrader, you know, especially when he's writing these movies with, uh, you know, Raging Bull and the Taxi Driver. But no, the guy grew up in Michigan, Calvinist. So he grew up with a strict Calvinist household, just as George C. Scott portrays this Calvinist preacher. Paul Schrader didn't even get to get a chance to see a movie until he was 17 years old. Can you believe that? His parents wouldn't let him watch movies. He snuck away from home to watch The Absent-Minded Professor. That was the first film he saw, and he was very unimpressed with it, in his own words. <laughs> but but Tra- Trader, Trader used all that, his childhood, and I guess all that repression, pent-up aggression, to write these incredible stories. And George C. Scott playing this, this Calvinist preacher whose daughter runs away on a field trip in California, enters the adult film industry. And this is the 70s, late 70s adult industry. Remember, you know, the 70s is when the adult film sort of took on this, this cultural moment, right? I mean, Behind the Green Door, Devil and Miss Jones. Like, these were major films that actually grossed at the box office. They were rated X, but they had national release, and they were big films. So the porn industry was just taking off in the 70s. Of course, Boogie Nights portrays this and depicts that whole scene. But this is a movie made, what, in 79 or 80? So we're talking a contemporary film of the time, and George C. Scott has to essentially infiltrate this world take on the persona of a porn producer to find his daughter and get her back. It's like Taken meets Boogie Nights, if you want to boil it down to that. <laughs> and uh, I absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, there's some scenes that, and of course, you and I both love the classic shots, the great, beautiful setups of George C. Scott having to admire and, and critique the members. How do I put it? The units, the, uh, the junk of the male performers, because look, the guy, he's, he's going all in. He's, 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 he, he has to play the part to a T, so he has to examine the, <laughs> the schmeckles of these young men coming to his office to audition for his films. And there's a great shot where the guy drops his trousers, and we see it from behind the guy's pants. George C. Scott through the legs, the five shot, and he just sort of admires this man's penis and uh, gives it a shrug. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best he can do. He kind of just kind of has to roll his eyes at this thing. But uh, one of the best shots, and of course in the movie theater, 
in the movie theater. We talked about this. I think we talked about this last time, but the shot of him in the theater watching his daughter on screen in this film, it's kind of like how America's looking at the world right now. You know, we're just so horrified by what's happening, but we can't look away. And we have to get it back. We have to get back to what made America great. And, and it's not... It's not the guy in office right now. No, and the, that, I'll tell you that. And the fact he went the, the, the way that he know, but the way George C. Scott is just revolted, right? Because he goes from turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, just screaming, he's just so yeah. horrified by what he's turn saying. it off. That's what we that's what we want to do right now. We want to just turn off the madness, but we can't. We have to face it to make it better. That's what we got to do. So I think it's a nice allegory for what's happening in our country right now. Uh, and I love the fact that uh, our man Alex, a good friend of yours, you just had a road trip together. He also loves hardcore. He points out the fact that after he, uh, you know, <laughs> interviews one of these guys who says that he does know George C. Scott's daughter and says, you know, I'll never work with her again. She's a freak. The stuff that she was doing to me, like, it's disgusting. And George C. Scott beats the crap out of this guy. Like, this Dutch countess mister takes a lamp pole and just bashes this guy's head. It was just insane. Oh, yeah. Bringing some of that patent energy, that big patent energy to uh, hardcore. But, you know, so Schrader, Schrader directed those movies. And then I got to say, I, mean, I, I have a more recent Schrader film I can talk about. Perfect. Because I was scrolling through Criterion the other night, and I, I happened upon a movie called Adam Resurrected. Now, this was a movie that came out in 2008. I didn't hear anything about it at the time. I haven't heard much about it since. But I guess for good reason, because <laughs> it wasn't great. I couldn't really get through it. But it is Jeff Goldblum starring in this Israeli set movie with a, with a lot of Israeli cast and production, uh, which also led me to believe that Schrader might be Jewish. But no, Schrader is not Jewish. <laughs> but Jeff Goldblum is, and and there's a gorgeous actress in this movie, Ayelet. Um, I'm blanking on her last name, but I had to look her up afterwards. Uh, very very good actress who plays this nurse. Basically, the plot of Adam Resurrected. It's supposed to be this dark comedy doesn't really connect with me on a comedy level. Um, do you remember the, uh, the the Jerry Lewis famous Holocaust movie, The Day the Clown Died? Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that never really got released? Mm-hmm. Well, this is, a, this is a bit of a corollary to that film because there are flashbacks to the Holocaust. Jeff Goldblum plays a Holocaust survivor who then becomes a... Uh, he, he was like a cabaret leader and a mentalist back in, in, in Weimar Republic days. And then, of course, when the Nazis take over, he is sent to the camps. He survives and becomes a psychiatric patient because he's just kind of, you know, lost his mind in a sense. He was forced to be a dog by Willem Dafoe, the commandant of the camp he was sent to. Dafoe recognized him from his days in the cabaret, and he said, I want you to be my pet and make me laugh. And so he spared his life, but instead of you know having to work in the camps, he had to work as a dog and pretend to uh, go on all fours and, and fight for food. And Willem Dafoe, of course the great manic, insane actor who can play all sorts of creeps does that to a T in this movie. But it doesn't really work for me. These flashbacks, the, nar- the narrative is, is kind of all over the place. And there's like these very strange sexual scenes with this Ayelet Zur. That's her name, Ayelet Zur. But uh, ultimately, I can't say it's one of Schrader's best, but if you're intrigued by strange films, especially anything that has to do with the Holocaust, <laughs> I know there are people, there's some people who just love Holocaust movies, you got to include this on your list. Uh, that's an incredible Not your review. List. Not your shameless list. No, yeah, I was going to say, there's yeah. a movie that I saw. He, and he, listen, I love Paul Schrader, but he's made some bad movies. The Canyons is a horrific movie he made with James Dean, who's an actual adult film actor. James Dean, D-E-E-N. <laughs> not to be confused with the great Rebel Without a Cause actor, Gone Too Soon. And Lindsay Lohan's in the movie. I and mean, Lindsay Lohan. Oh, it is awful. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it's just, it's pointless. It's all over the place. makes no sense. And then you start to wonder, maybe Schrader's lost it. And he makes First Reform, which came out three years ago with Ethan Hawke, which is one of the best movies of his career. I thought it was one of career highlight first ever nomination he got from the academy awards for best original screenplay but i want to ask you also about autofocus because i told you how much i love this film uh, you saw it you said it didn't work for you and yet afterwards we kept quoting it all and i feel like and i hope perhaps you've become more enamored of the film the more you've thought about it and the more you've seen my passion for it a day without ad man is a day wasted i'll, I'll, I'll say that <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, autofocus, 2002. So this is kind of in that period. He's getting a little, he's getting up there, but still, I, I would say, you know, I would say it's a good film overall. I mean, the, the, the themes are disturbing. Um, it's, it's it's a biographical biopic. 
about uh, the Hogan's Hero Star, right? Uh, God, why am I blanking his name now? Bob, Bob Crane. Uh, Bob Crane. Yeah. Bob, Bob Crane's Crane, a loser. Bob Crane and Carpy. Bob, <laughs> Bob Crane and Carpy, another Willem Dafoe role. I mean, it, it just speaks to the kind of guy Paul Schrader is, right? When, he's, when you think about the people he casts for his movies, the fact that Willem Dafoe is one of his go-tos, that tells you all you need to know <laughs> about Paul Schrader's sensibilities. But, but the Defoe and Greg Kinnear combo, I mean, Kinnear, of course, you know, this, this affable, charming, the, the, that big smile, you know, this guy's got Hollywood looks. And, of course, Bob Crane, the real-life actor he's playing, uh, shared those qualities. But behind that veneer, behind the veneer of Kinnear is a dark, twisted, perverted soul. <laughs> and, uh, again, this is a theme in Schrader's career in his films. But this guy's into making homemade pornos and uh they get there's like some you know snuff elements involved i mean it gets really twisted right <laughs> but the guy's obsessed with sex what time is it <laughs> i need to get that watch <laughs> i need to get defoe's watch in that movie but carp carpy man and then you are the carpy to my crane i want i want to say i, I, like that. I, I, hope, I hope i hope our friendship doesn't end that way but I'm happy to say it right now. Listen, this was so much fun. You knocked it out of the park. I'm making an executive decision right now here on Cinephile. You are getting your own segment. From now on, Scott Rogowski is going to be an indisputable, indispensable part of Cinephile. The only question is, a guy as creative as you are, can we come up with a name? You, you threw the name to Scott or not, rags or riches. What else do you want? What do you want for your segment every week on Cinephile? I mean, you, you, you call me Rags. Rags is, my, is a nickname that I, my dad used to have, and, and the Sklar brothers called me. They popularized it. So I'll stick with Rags. How about Rags time? <laughs> a reference to old school yeah, a, short, a short segment called Rags time. I'll come on here, and I'll just rant and rave about something that I've, I've, I'm into that particular week. I love it. Rags time Coming soon to Cinephile. Every single week we're going to do it. I can't wait for this, dude. This is going to be tremendous. Uh, One closing thought. Emmy nominations. Do you care about any of the Emmy nominations? Because I'm upset right now. Better Call Saul. Ray Seahorn got snubbed. Bob Odenkirk got snubbed. Do you care at all about the Emmy nominations? I certainly don't. And especially this year, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's nothing I could care less about right now uh, than the Emmy nominations. Um, there's there's so many more important things happening in the world, and if I could be if I could just take a moment to be serious here, sure. Uh, you know, I, I watched another, another I watched another great movie the other night, a documentary called Daryl Davis. It was called Accidental Courtesy, Daryl Davis Race and uh, Politics in America, and it's an interesting documentary from 2016. You can find it on Amazon Prime. Daryl Davis was a, a musician I had never heard of before, but apparently he was like a studio guy, toured with Chuck Berry. Very, very talented piano player, uh, black guy who, you know, in his career as a musician, he would play these southern bars. He'd, he'd sometimes be the only black person in the entire venue, right, on stage as a musician. He would be approached by some of these white guys in the audience who loved his music, loved the band, but they were Ku Klux Klan members. They, he was playing in deep parts of the South, and he'd be approached by members of the KKK who were actually reaching out a hand and saying, I really like what you're doing. And because of his music, he was able to sort of infiltrate the Klan and, and, and befriend some Klan members. Now, over the years, over decades of, of these friendships that he started, he was actually able to convert some of these white supremacists, these absolute racists, into leaving the Klan and becoming reformed, non-racist, and even anti-racist. So it's actually an incredible, inspiring story about this, this one guy who... You know, look, there's, there's, there's a debate, right? It's like, how do you handle this? How do we deal with this issue, this issue of white supremacy and racism in this country? This guy's answer is, you don't just shut these people down and call them racists. You sit down with them. You understand where they're coming from. You try to start a dialogue. And maybe through the course of you know, inviting people to your house, sitting down, having coffee, you know, sharing, having a drink, and talking about music, talking about life, you can actually get to the humanity of these people and try to convert them. Now, what the best part of the documentary was a, it was a very intense moment where this guy goes to Baltimore in the wake of the Freddie Gray protests and meets with Black Lives Matter activists who are furious with Daryl Davis because they're saying, why are you being, why are you being friends with these, these racist Klan guys? They, you know, they want to destroy us, they want to kill us. Meanwhile, 
every day in the streets, black people are being oppressed and, and, and killed. And, and you're just out there trying to make friends. And maybe you've made, what, 20, you've changed 20 people's opinions. There's a much larger systemic issue. It's not about individuals. So that becomes a whole debate. And, and you walk away from the film thinking, well, is this guy doing the right thing? Or maybe he's wasting his time or he could be putting his time to better use. So it really opens up a, a whole range of thinking on this issue, which, I mean, of course, this is, is racking our country right now and, and as it should be. And this is a time of reckoning and, and, a, and a time of momentum. So I want to keep that present in our minds. As you're talking about Emmys, I know this is, supposed to be an escape from all that in a way, but you really should never escape from it too much because it's a very real issue and it's affecting so many people in this country. And if we want to get right and we want to get to a point where we, we can like actually look forward to the Emmys and look forward to things like baseball, we have to deserve those things. And right now, I don't think this country deserves some of those, those entertainments and those frivolities right now. We need to do some, some of the heavy work and the heavy lifting. So I will put that to your listeners and I'll bring this to Rack's time every time, baby. We'll talk Schrader, we'll talk porn, but we'll also talk some politics. <laughs> I lo- listen, you do whatever you want. It's your segment. People in America love you. I love you, so I agree with you. This is your platform to speak, and I do agree with you. I, as a guy who delves in frivolities like sports and movies, it is nice to have a social conscience, and I do agree with you. There's a lot going on that needs to be spoken about. So you stick the landing. You can follow Scott once again on Twitter and on Instagram. My only request, next week on Rags Time, you do have to review the John Cassavetes film, Husbands. You can do whatever else you want. you got 15, 20 minutes. It's all you. Oh, but, but Cassavetes Husbands has to be discussed. You're going to make me watch that again? I tried to watch it the first time. I can get, got about an hour through the first four hours of it, or however long it is. <laughs> That's a, that was a rough one for me. As much as I love Peter Falk, that was a rough one. But I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a shot. I love it. Thanks, Rags. Catch you later, Edna. Mount Rushmore. All right, now it's time for Mount Rushmore of comic-inspired material because of Watchmen, which was so good. So this is an interesting list here. When you, I mean, look, you think of so many movies and TV shows that had been done. Obviously, Batman is a no-brainer, just the franchise. Yes, it's a large group. I can see the Tim Burton movies I've wanted to. I can see the Christopher Nolan movies I've wanted to. I'm just going to say Batman, okay? Batman... Just as a legacy. God, even the, the TV show is so well done. The animated series, Batman, back in the day. Um, so listen, Kevin Conroy is the voice of Batman. I always thought he was very, very good. Even if you were a Lego Batman movie with my man Will Arnett, also great. So Batman, definitely in. Also in is Logan, a superhero movie, which is unlike a superhero movie from James Mangold. Did a phenomenal job. Hugh Jackman, I think, as good a performance as he has ever given. Those are two locks for me. In terms of other potential nominees... Listen, I'm inclined to go with Sin City because I love that film noir look and I thought it was very interesting and unique. Jessica Alba and others. And number four, yeah, why not? Let's go with Deadpool. Deadpool, about as irreverent and funny as it gets to superhero movies, sending up the entire thing, satiric. Ryan Reynolds has a role that fits him like a glove. There's my Mount Rushmore of comic-inspired material. Batman, Logan, I'm going to go with uh, those other two that I mentioned, Sin City and Deadpool. Joe? I'll agree with you. I'll, I'll say Batman as well to start things off. Um, specifically, The Dark Knight. I think that's probably my favorite Batman movie ever made. So I'll say that right off the bat. Then I'm going to go with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I know there's so many Spider-Man movies to choose from, but that might be, and I don't say this lightly, the best superhero movie I've ever seen. I really, really enjoyed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, and then I'll go with this movie. It was a, a graphic novel called Persepolis, which follows this girl during the Iranian Revolution. And and it, it's such an entertaining way to learn about the crisis that happened over there. And then for my last one, and then I don't know if you've seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, but it is is an amazing movie based on a comic book. I highly recommend it. Of everything on this list, I'd recommend that movie the most. So my four are Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, Batman, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and Persepolis. I love it. Let us know your thoughts as you can tweet us at CinephilePod or Adnan S. Verk.
All right, now it's time for Total Recall. The final one of this segment, Best Picture, was Parasite. Just this last year, the 2020 Oscars, the films from 2019. What else was nominated, Joe? Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm going to go with The Irishman. I've talked about it a lot. Elegiac, mournful, three-hour meditation on uh, wise guys getting old, no country for old men, Scorsese style, first time ever, Marty and Pacino together, Pacino's first Oscar nomination in a couple of decades. Welcome back, Joe Pesci, reserved, quiet, haunted, and of course, Robert De Niro tying it all together. I thought it was a masterful film. I think it was hurt in some ways by its association with Netflix and the fact it was seen on television rather than in theaters. It deserved to be seen on the big screen, but I love it. I've seen it three times in theaters. I've watched scenes individually, but I was very, very happy for Parasite. I thought it was audacious and different, and movies like that should get recognized. Obviously, a trailblazer, first time ever a foreign film won Best Picture. I would have voted for The Irishman, but I was also really happy for Parasite. Joe? I'm going to stick with the Academy and go with Parasite. Um, I thought it was very original. Bong Joon-ho's direction of it was incredible. But then, to your point, just a foreign film to win Best Picture for the first time in Oscar history, I'll pick Parasite. All right, best director was Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Who else was nominated? Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips, Joker, Sam Mendes, 1917, and Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mendes was the favorite, and those tracking shots from Roger Deakins were something else. He's been nominated once previously and won for American Beauty. I wanted Scorsese to win his second Oscar. It's absurd. He's only ever won one time for best director. He's been nominated nine times. I think he should have won for The Irishman because, again, in many ways, it was a career-capping film. So many of the themes that he's always explored in his career but did so on a different level this time. But again, very happy for Bong Joon-ho. Worst nomination, by the way, Todd Phillips for Joker. Thank God he didn't get nominated. You? I'm going to go with uh, Sam Mendes for 1917 um, and just how cinematic it was, those tracking shots. So, But I'll go with Sam Mendes personally. Best actor was Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, which I panned. As I said previously, it is an award for most acting, not best acting. I thought it was a very hammy performance, tick-driven, excessive in all the wrong ways. I don't think he should have won. I don't think he should have been nominated. I would have voted for Adam Driver for Marriage Story playing uh, Broadway theater director on the edge of emotional breakdown, going through a terrible divorce. I thought he was incredible. No, I I, I agree with you. And I think, to your point earlier, these award shows... um, reward people for overacting, not acting, as you put it earlier. And so I would have gone with Adam Driver over Antonio Banderas, Leonardo DiCaprio, or Jonathan Price for that year. I love it. Best actress was Renee Zellweger for Judy. I have the soundtrack in my car. Swear to God, I got it sent to me pretty good music. Uh, she won. Who else was nominated? Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson, Marriage Story, Cersei Ronan, Little Women, and Charlize Theron for Bombshell. I'd go with ScarJo. Had never been nominated for an Oscar before this year. A double nominee in Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress. I thought her work was a career peak. But Renee Zellweger, listen, the Academy loves these musicals and, you know, old Hollywood and old stars. Big comeback performance. She'd been gone for a while. I don't think she should have won. It should have been ScarJo. You? I agree. I think it should have been Scarlett Johansson. I didn't see Judy, but you're right. The, the biopics and portrayals of former actresses and actors. Hollywood loves that. But I would go with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, no surprise. It's the only nomination the movie got. That tells you how good it was. Best Supporting Actor was Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He'd never won before. He's cool. He's handsome. He's playing off his persona as a guy who's had women troubles and smokes weed as he joked in his Golden Globe Award-winning performance. Heavy hitters with other nominees. Who else got nominated, Joe? Tom Hanks, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes, Al Pacino, The Irishman, and Joe Pesci, The Irishman. I would go with Al Pacino for The Irishman. I thought he just nailed Jimmy Hoffa. The fact he was this rabble rouser who was very charismatic, uh, devoted to his wife, devoted to the working man, the union, but also didn't mind using wide guy, wise guys to get what he wanted. You know, it's, it's no issue with using criminal intent. And the way he illustrated Jimmy Hoffa, the pride before the fall, his arrogance, the fact that he didn't see the fact the mob was going to take him out. He was so blind to that, I thought it was incredibly rendered by him. You can see how great leaders like him have this huge blind spot, and Pacino commands the screen, whether it's in those scenes where he's giving speeches to the union and the Teamsters, or in some very quiet, delicate scenes with De Niro. And the lead-up to when he gets killed is so beautifully portrayed by both him and De Niro. It's screen acting as good as it gets. Runner for me would have been Pesci and the Irishman. Again, a very different Joe Pesci, restrained and understated. Those would have been my picks. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Joe Pesci for, for, you know, that more subtle, subdued performance that he typically didn't show. And also for him to do it at his age, at this stage in his career, to come out of retirement. Come on, Academy, give it to Joe Pesci. All right. Best Supporting Actress was Laura Dern for Marriage Story. I agree. I thought she, I think Marriage Story should have won three Oscars for actors. And Laura Dern was amazing playing this defense attorney who shows you the way that uh, you've got to be a, a very carnivorous shark in that landscape. Who else was nominated? Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh for Little Women. And Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Well... I mean, listen, again, I like that ScarJo did get nominated for Jojo Rabbit, but I think the Academy was right going to Laura Dern. Kathy Bates was very good in Richard Jewell. Surprised that Florence Pugh snuck in for Little Women. Margot Robbie is a wonderful actress, friend of Cinephile, former guest. So I'm glad that Bombshell was recognized, at least for performance. But I would agree with Laura Dern. You? Me too. I would agree with Laura Dern. She killed that performance. Ruthless lawyer, loved her. Laura Dern, best supporting actress. All right, last two. How about Best Original Screenplay? It was one by Parasite, screenplay by Bong Joon-ho and Han Jin-won, story by Bong Joon-ho. Who else was nominated? Knives Out, Ryan Johnson. Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach. 1917, Sam Mendes. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. I'd like to give it to Baumbach. It's a great script, but what the hell? I've given three Oscars already to the cast, so let's give something to Parasite. It is an incredible story. A great screenplay dealing with class and social inequity, thrillingly brought to light by Bong Joon-ho. I wouldn't have given him Best Director, but I would have given him Best Screenplay. You know what? I'm going to give it to Ryan Johnson and Knives Out. I thought it was a highly original whodunit movie. I'm a whodunit movie kind of guy, and so I thought that that was underappreciated at the time, so I'll go with Knives Out. I love it. Okay. And Best Adapted Screenplay, Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi, based on the novel Caging Skies by Christine Lunens. Who else was nominated? The Irishman, Stephen Zalian, Joker, Todd Phillips, Little Women, Greta Gerwig, and The Two Popes, Anthony McCartan. I'd love to see The Two Popes get something because Anthony McCartan's script is excellent. I actually have the screenplay, but Steve Zalian, who is in the Hall of Fame of Great Screenwriters, the writer of Schindler's List, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Gangs of New York. I think The Irishman, I read the book. That's a tough book to streamline, but he made it captivating all the way around. I'd vote for Zalian and The Irishman. I agree. I would go with uh, Zalian The Irishman too. It, it was a fantastic movie. I'll go with The Irishman. I love it. Well, thanks so much for Total Recall. Listen, Joe came up with this idea, so all props go to Joe for giving us the idea, the title, and I've been having a blast looking back at the Oscars and what they've contributed in terms of their uh, nominees, the ones I agree with, even the ones I disagree with. And once again, Rags time is coming. Scott Rogowski, now part of Cinephile. Uh, he's hilarious, and of course, he knows and loves his movies. Thanks so much for checking us out. Subscribe, rate, and review, and I'll see you next time at the movies.